It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, any families listening to us whose son or daughter doesn't have a seat on the school bus as of now, majority of schools are fully reopening from uh, tomorrow and there does seem to be a major, major problem with the school bus system this year. We have it every year. I don't think there has been a year probably in the last 10 to 15 years that I haven't done interviews around this time of people scrambling to try to get onto the school bus. But in the main, it has been around people trying to get one of the concessionary seats, the seats that are left over when everyone who's entitled to a seat on the bus gets a seat on the bus. But from what I can gather, certainly reading lots of coverage in the newspaper, I've been following it online as well on social media. And there seems to be lots of families. This isn't just something here in Cork. It's all over the country who are scrambling. These are some pupils who are outside of the area for are entitled to a seat on the bus in that they live far enough away from their local school, the school they're entitled to go to. So they are entitled to a seat on the school bus, but not everybody has a seat as of yet. And it is causing certainly a lot of sleepless nights for parents. If you've got working uh, parents in the main, very difficult to know how to know how you're going to get your son and daughter into school in the morning and to get them collected again then in the afternoon. So it is causing problems. If you have a story to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can give John Paul a call at 0818 and I suppose the other big worry that every single family and business all over the country has at the moment and that's to do with the cost of energy and of course we had SSE Airtricity they're the latest to announce uh, price hikes and one wonders can we take a little bit of hope from the news that a European wide emergency intervention is being developed to try to help ease sky rocketing electricity prices while we here in Ireland are complaining about the electricity uh, prices skyrocketing electricity prices are all across the EU so the European Commission President Ursula van der Leyen has said that along with ending EU dependence on Russian fossil fuels she says extraordinary measures are now required to try to overhaul the energy market. She says the skyrocketing electricity prices are now exposing for different reasons the limitations of our current electricity market design. She says it was developed under completely different circumstances 
and for completely different purposes. If it is no longer fit for purpose, she said that is why we, the Commission, are now working on an emergency intervention and she also wants to see a structural reform of the electricity market. She said we need a new market model for electricity that really functions and brings us back into balance. Now, our own Taoiseach Micheál Martin, he actually called a meeting of government leaders last night. The government themselves are trying to coordinate some kind of response to the spiral energy uh, con- Now, while no decisions came out of that meeting last night, they do intend to meet again next week to find supports that could be introduced to try to help ease the burden on people. The Environment Minister, Eamon Ryan, he is expected to give details of a new action plan to try to combat energy poverty when he'll be appearing before. That's the special meeting of the Oireachtas Climate Committee. That's happening uh, today. And, of course, the Commission for the Regulation of Utilities and Airgrid, they're also going to attend. So we'll watch with great interest what comes out of that Oireachtas meeting uh, today. But I read an interesting piece that was on yesterday's paper, which was in the uh, Daily Mail, and they were doing a comparison if the the way gas has gone up in price and electricity has gone up in price, they were looking, and the, the example they used was that if a pint of Guinness had gone up at the same speed as which gas and electricity prices had done over the last year, your standard pint, which is around a fiver, would now be costing 25 uh, euro. And obviously, Consumer Association Dermot Jewell, when he was asked about that, said, well, the simple thing would be if the price was at 25 euro for a pint of beer or a pint of Guinness, people simply wouldn't be buying it and all the brewers then would have no sales. But Dermot Jewell is pointing out when consumers are denied choice, financial debt becomes a reality. And he said this is an unacceptable situation because it isn't the same that you would have if if Guinness and, and a pint of lager rose at the same price, you'd just simply say, well, I'm not going to buy it. I'm not going to pay those kind of prices. But you don't have that choice when it comes to electricity. Now, I do know you can shop around and hopefully people are uh, shopping around, but you still have to pay to have the lights turned on in your house. And they made other this article I read made other comparisons just looking at the way gas has gone up. So if you put that, if you if you looked at something else like the pint of Guinness, you know, how much would it have gone up by? And they they, they cited, for example, a cup of coffee. Average cup of coffee works out at about three euro sixty five cent. If that went up at the same speed that gas has gone up, that would now be eighteen twenty five for a cup of coffee. Or a pair of socks out of pennies at three euro twenty five. If it went up at the same rate as gas prices, it would be sixteen euro twenty five. So it's just crazy the way gas has gone up, and then the knock on how electricity has gone up uh, with it. And then if you are not you're not using gas in your house, you are more than likely using home heating oil. And we only last week or the week before mentioned that home heating oil had come down slightly in price, still very expensive but it was down about 20% of where it had been at the start of June. Well I read today that home heating oil has surged in the past uh, two weeks. Prices now are up around €135. This is for a 1,000 litre fill and that's just in the past fortnight alone. So oil buyers are now paying almost €700 more to fill the tank with home heating oil than what we were paying this time last year. That is a huge, huge uh, rise. And that bad news keeps coming. Um, 
according to Charlie Weston, who's a personal finance um, um, editor with the Irish Independent, he says that the the oil has gone back over $100 a barrel in what is expected to push petrol and diesel prices back over the two euro a litre mark. Some garages are already, according to pumps.ie, have already reached the two euro mark. I've certainly been watching over the last, the weekend and the back end of last week. You can already see diesel is very close to the two euro mark. Unleaded petrol seems to be hanging in there, but certainly diesel has gone up in recent uh, days. But it's the home heating oil is the one that's going to worry so many people because they reckon 1.5 million homes in this country heat their homes by home heating oil. And this is the time of year and over the next number of weeks and months that people take delivery as we head into the uh, winter months. 60% by the way of homes in rural areas use home heating oil to heat their homes. Now Kevin McParkland he's with the Fuels for Ireland they're the ones whose his members import the oil. He's defending the price rises. He's also denying that there isn't any price gorging going on because people were worried that price gouging would happen as soon as people started to look for fills of oil at this time of year. People were saying oh wait and see, wait and see, the prices will start to go up. He said it's nothing to do uh, to do with that even though a couple of weeks ago he said that all of his members had good stocks of kerosene which you know you think oh well well, if they were buying it at the cheaper mark would they be able to sell it on but he says importers and distributors have to reflect the ongoing price rises despite buying some stock at lower levels he says margins are extremely tight he said it is definitely not price gouging. Wholesale price for kerosene, which is home heating oil, that's increased by more than 10 cent per litre on the international market that was in the two weeks up to last Friday. Kevin McParkland said people who use kerosene to heat their homes were the only ones not to get any financial help from the government. The reason for that is there's been no cut in the excise duty on home heating oil. And I wonder, is that something that the government may uh, consider? So while people will now start to worry about their home heating oil, there's the ongoing worry about the electricity costs. They're already gone up by €1,000 a year for a large number of uh, customers. Similar hikes in gas. More rises are expected on the way, as many big suppliers are expected to announce more rises in the coming days. There has, would you believe, been 50 separate energy price rise announcements in the past year and a half. That is just incredible. More than uh, 50. So while people are worried about electricity and people are worried about home heating oil, I'm not at all surprised to read in the papers today that the government may have been eyeing a turf cutting ban, but fears over a winter energy crisis has actually fueled a stampede to the bog, bogs with many people saying, look, this will give up, give us backup fuel reserves. Many turf cutters in North Kerry have described this summer as their busiest yet. Such is the demand for people to stock up their sheds with turf. And turf sheds are stacked full to the brim. And one of Kerry's leading bog cutting contractors said yesterday it has been their busiest year ever. And they are saying this is due to winter energy fuels. One contractor is quoted in the paper as saying today, I'll tell you this, whatever happens with regards to oil, 
to gas and to electricity. There'll be no shortage of turf to burn over the winter in North Kerry. And, and I love this part. He says, nobody will, left, will be left without heat in North Kerry. Heat that has warmed us for generations. And of course, under the latest government arrangements when it comes to cutting turf and when it comes to the rules for bog owners, bog owners can continue to harvest the turf. What these turf cutters are doing in North, North Kerry, nothing illegal at all. They can harvest it for themselves. They can also harvest it for relatives and friends. They just can't sell it commercially. But there, there will be ways around being able to sell it on to family and friends and never have they had such a busy time uh, cutting a turf. And you can really no surprise in reading and seeing that this morning. Some of your WhatsApps and texts coming into us. Uh, Dinny says, uh, Patricia, could you please give a shout out to Cork County Council that according to Dinny have 11 million euro left in their budget. Uh, before they return it, could they please put a water tap on the top wall at St. Catherine's Cemetery in Kilcully so that the elderly and disabled people don't have to do a 15 minute round trip to the only water tap on the bottom wall, says uh, Dinny. And it's always frustrating for people when they want to visit loved ones' graves and there isn't a tap nearby. Anybody in the council listening, can you put in an outside tap at St. Catherine's Cemetery in Kilcully, please? Anne says, Patricia, listening to my piece about rising gas and oil and electricity prices why are the government not bringing down the price of gas and uh, electricity well they're doing everything I mean I don't think they can intervene and directly bring it down but they're doing everything that they can that's why there's so many meetings going on at the moment and I'm taking great great hope from the EU and Ursula van der Leyen and uh, she's looking for the an emergency EU intervention on energy we could see things moving if the EU uh, managed to get something uh, done Uh, Let's keep our fingers crossed. Uh, John says, Patricia, the budget needs to be brought forward. It's as simple as that. Healthcare workers are still waiting for their €1,000 COVID bonus. What a farce, says John. Well, the budget is being brought forward by a month. We're going to have it at the end of September instead of the end of October. Everybody's waiting on that budget. Are you saying, John, it should even become more forward than the end of of September, bring it to the the start of uh, September? And then what everyone is waiting for and hoping for is when that budget gets announced and anything they introduce by way of increases that that will be brought in as near to midnight on the night of the budget like what they do whenever they put up the old reliables they always kick in from midnight but increases never kick in until the new year they're promising though that that will be different this year but we will wait and see thank you for your text uh, John to 0862103103 and a text in earlier saying I was skitting laughing at you talking to Ken about Diana Ross's frock my mother used to always say uh, frock yeah it's such an old fashioned word isn't it, isn't it? I, I don't even know if young people today would even know what a frock was and the reason that I always say it with a smile on the radio when I'm talking about people like Diana Ross you know sort of divas wearing frocks I remember many many years ago it was back it had to be the early 90s it was when Linda Martin won the Eurovision Song Contest with Why Me and she wore a really figure hugging kind of a grey silver dress it was beautiful it was absolutely stunning on her and she'd come back from the win in the Eurovision and I, ma- I had a phone number for her 
at the time and I rang her to say I remember God help her she was in bed and I said is there any way you could have a quick few words with us today we were so excited about her win and she said she would and she was just getting a few hours sleep and we said we'd ring her later on that morning and we did and we had a quick chat with her about how excited she was about her win and somebody from West Cork rang in to say would you ever tell Linda Martin that I thought her frock was beautiful and I just remember thinking such a gorgeous word to use and Linda got a great kick out of the word frock as well so I, it always makes me smile whenever I use that word and talking of thank you for your text and talking of smiling can I send congratulations to Mike Kyohan we spoke with Mike the week before last because he was heading over to the European Transplant Games in Oxford and his lovely wife Dee has sent me an email to say he won gold in the 5k race walk he won silver in the shot put and he won bronze in the dart so he's come home with three medals a gold a silver and a bronze at the European Transplant Claims in Oxford congratulations to Mike Kewan who is of course our Russ Carberry uh, reporter 0818 John Paul taking new calls Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie I have to say I was really saddened to read that a food bank founder has told of how she's cried for hours after being verbally abused by people with a sense of entitlement demanding supplies from the food bank. To find out more, Ashleen Lowe of the Meath Food Bank uh, joins me. Good morning to Ashleen. Good morning, Patricia. Now, How are you? I'm very well. And, and can I say this is just really upsetting uh, to hear. Is the main abuse coming from new service users to the food bank, Ashley? Um, Mainly, we have a, a lot of new service users and I think they just don't understand how our food bank operates, you know, that we um we kind of rely on public donations, you know, let be supermarket vouchers or donations of food. But because of the cost of living, our food just our shelves just keep getting wiped out with all of the families that we have to support, you know, in County Mead. So, um yeah, there's there's people you can, like it's very hard to explain to them that we don't have any goods left and that we'll ha- they'll have to wait until we restock again and that we keep their name and their address and their information and then we get back to them as soon as we're restocked again. Look, I know the people are under pressure, but our food bank is really, really under pressure now at the moment. With yeah, the and, and as as a charity, Ashin, it's... I, I imagine it's hard for you to say to somebody over the phone, I'm sorry, we don't, you know, we're out of supplies at the moment. That isn't an easy thing for any of you or the volunteers to have to say to somebody. No, it's it's not because because it's never usually the case. It was never the case. You know, we've assisted families and supported people that were out of work throughout lockdown and everything and made sure that the, the food was delivered to their door and to help their families and everything, you know. Now, and, you know, we do have lovely service users. Not all of them, you know, are, I know, are bad. I know. But we've lovely service users. And some of my service users are volunteers. Let it be just helping to stock the shelves and 
do things in in house, you know, just to help but out. Not, yeah, yeah. And could but, it be that some people are just under so much pressure that they're just not thinking straight? I think I think it is the case, but but like that, as as I said before, you know that the people like myself and the other girls who answer the phone were were human beings and we're working volunteer you know, it's all voluntary and we don't get we don't get a wage, we don't have big CEO wages or anything, you know, it's it, we're just doing this to help the community. But um they need to just, you know, like assess that and and just be kind when mm. they're asking on the phone. And would, like, would, any, would, would any ring back and apologise and say, God, look, no. I'm really sorry, actually, I lost the head there. No. no. That's shocking. And there is therefore then that sense of entitlement. Well, you're a food bank. You must give me food. There, There is. Like, it's, it's you know, um, well, why? And, you know, why can't I have? And um, when will I have? And this just isn't good enough. What am I going to do now? And then you're trying to explain and then the verbal abuse starts. That's upsetting. It is. It is. It's very, very stressful. And, um, you know, people, a lot of people who would volunteer and would see the work that we do on on, on, fa- on our Facebook page um, would say, oh, I'd love to volunteer and it looks so lovely to be able to do that and to help people in the community with food hampers and everybody kind of sees the glamorous side of it. But... Behind the scenes, it can be a different story at times. It can be extremely stressful, both for me and for all of the volunteers as well that, that you know, help. Um, yeah, and I, I, I imagine an, an, a, a layer of the stress also, Ashleen, comes from having to constantly listen to people because I imagine they share their stories with you. But that's yeah. hard as well. As you say, you're all human beings and you're, you're giving of your time voluntarily to have to listen to people who are really, really on their knees when, yeah. when they turn it's to a food a, bank. It's, it's, a, it's an emotional, it's an emotional thing, you know. It's, it's sad. I, you know, there's times where you would be battered you know your emotions and everything will be battered to pieces and a lot of the time um it happens to the volunteers who who deliver the food and they could come back to the food bank for a cup of tea and just tell me you know horrific things you know and sad things you wouldn't expect anybody to be living that way it's, you know. the re- it's the reality. I always remember and this was many years ago, not not the current crisis, uh, speaking to one of the volunteers with St. Vincent de Paul in the city. And he was talking about making a delivery to an elderly lady one night and she had her young grandchild and the grandchild, you know, pulled out the chair and got up on the, got up onto the table to see what was in the box. And the yeah. child got really excited because there was porridge. There was a packet of porridge and it was, you know, Granny, can we have porridge? Can we have porridge? And he realised yeah. that that moment that they were hungry those kids were yeah. hungry you know what I mean and yeah. that's, that's hard it's hard to walk away from that and not let that affect you it, well that's it and we we have we have um, service users who are soldiers we have elderly service users 
Um, some of our elderly service users, they ring, I'm ex- I would say today now I'll be expecting a phone call from one of them. He usually rings me um, most weeks to have a chat. I call him my boyfriend. He's 80 years of age. And I'm I'm only 43, but I call him my boyfriend. So he rings, he just wants to have a little chat. I know, but I know. But we, we look after him and... Um, the poor man hasn't another living soul. Do you know his 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 and wife because- has because families are, you know, they're prioritising the mortgage, the rent, the keeping the lights on with electricity. Uh, ch- families with children are prioritising trying to get the children back to school. So it's the one way that they try to save and spend less is on the well, food. Well, I'll tell you, I spoke to a family um, last week and the mammy of the family told me she can't wait for the dark evening to come back in again so that she can get the kids to bed earlier so there won't be uh, lights being used, there won't be heat being used um, and there won't be food being used or eaten. Children asking for food, yeah. Yeah. Okay, and the where, where do you get your food supplies from, Ashling? Um, basically, it's from people. They just donate to the food bank, uh, where we're situated in Navan, and um, then it's just because we're a registered charity. People just donate, um, to our bank account, and you know, donate that way. And then we're able to source the food. Myself and my volunteers would go to Aldi or Lidl or Tesco's and we do our big, huge shops and we fill up the trolleys and then restock the food bank. But I imagine with the cost of living crisis affecting so many people, is that affecting your donations? Oh, big time. Yeah. Big time. We've been hit every way. I don't, I haven't as many volunteers now that can deliver deliver regularly with the cost of fuel. Yeah, yeah. I um, am definitely seeing a, a slump in our donations. Our donations have hit a wall. We have money left in our bank account now and that has to stay there to keep our rent paid. And we can't touch that for food. I know, I know. And you're entirely run by uh, volunteers. That's the, that's the one point. And it's the same with food banks all over the, the country. So for people and, you know, you're there to help when, wherever you can. And for just as you said earlier, for people to just be kind. That's, that's all you're asking for. That's all we ask is, is for people to just be, be kind and understanding on the phone because it's hard for us as well as as you know, you know, as everybody else, we're we're so busy. We're trying to look after everyone, you know, and just if we can't get because our, our service, we always pride it on the fact that if people ask for help that day, they get help that day, you know. But if there's no food in your cupboard, you can't give it out to anyone. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Absolutely. listen, you're doing amazing uh, work, um, Ashleen. Look after yourself because that's important as well, you and all of your volunteers. And we thank you for, for joining us this morning on the programme. 
Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye bye. What a lovely lady that is Ashleen Lowe, who runs that food bank in uh, Meath. We're just shocking to hear that she and her other volunteers could be verbally abused uh, by some people who just feel there's a sense of entitlement just because it is a food bank. You have to be able to give me food and give it to me now. 0818103103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text WhatsApp 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Unfortunately, this year, some pupils have had their request for a place on the school bus rejected after a surge in demand since the government announced it was wavering fees for the school bus scheme this year under measures to alleviate the cost of living crisis. Joining me to see how families locally are getting on is uh, Cork East Dáil Deputy Sean Sherlock. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, Patricia. Now, Sean, this is always an issue. I think I probably have an annual chat with you uh, every year about us trying to get a seat on the school bus. But am I right in thinking this year is unprecedented? Uh, absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right. And it is no exaggeration to say that since the announcement in July of the additional places and the free scheme uh, that uh, the issue has really come to the fore Primarily because, as you've said uh, in your opening statement there, uh, there are many families now throughout the county of Cork who up to now would have had places on school buses who today, as we speak, when schools are back, have no places. Even though they would be eligible for such places, what has happened is is that the minister has announced a scheme going back in July, going back to July, but the reality is, is that the demand has been, on, uh, you know, was never anticipated and the supply was never provided for. There are not enough school buses now for those same families and many families have been excluded and many families who would have up to now gained from having the concessionary or the, the lottery tickets, they've been absolutely excluded as well. I take it, it though you were in agreement with the wavering of the fees? I would have had a, a maybe a mixed view on that one. I mean, if you were going to provide free universal transport for all, brilliant if the state could uh, afford it. But there was nobody coming to my door looking for a complete uh, waiving of fees. Because if you had a medical card or, you know, low-income family, you know, if you met the threshold for a medical card, you were eligible for free transport anyway. I would have, if I was devising a scheme now, what I would have done was, I would, have, I would have sat down with the uh, suppliers of buses. I would have said, look, I'm thinking about reducing fees. I'm thinking about spreading it wider. I'm thinking about uh, looking at the eligibility criteria, the income thresholds uh, and the distance uh, criteria of 3.2 for a primary and 4.8 kilometres for a post-primary. And I'm thinking of widening those out now. And here's what I'm thinking. Can you supply the buses? Could we sit down then with the bus companies and hammer out a contract and then you know I think people were willing to pay for their fees there was never a question about whether or not people were willing to pay and I think what you could have done was maybe discounted the rate provided a lesser price for the cost of the bus 
uh, and, and made it available. Yeah, there was people. there was other things that could have been done, but you're right because you're right. I, I've never heard of a campaign for people saying I don't want to pay for my son or daughter to go on the school bus. Just on the supplier of buses, were they? Was there any discussions with them before the announcement was made by uh, Minister Foley in July? Well, the minister stated yesterday on Morning Ireland that she did have discussions uh, with the uh, bus operators, but we don't know what the extent of those discussions were. The irony of all of this is that this was announced very hastily uh, in July uh, as a cost-of-living measure. But the net impact of this cost-of-living measure, in other words, we're going to reduce the cost of living for families, is that we now have countless numbers of families this morning in the county of Cork who are driving their uh, sons and daughters to schools. Uh, and their costs have actually gone up, ironically, because of that. Because they, there is the uncertainty of not having a school place. Many people have actually fitted the criteria, the eligibility criteria. Many people have uh, historically, last year even, availed of school places, school bus places. They now are not being communicated with in respect of whether or not they'll have a place this year. The assumption is that if they haven't heard by now that there is no place because there is no uh, no availability of buses. But we, we're continuing to fight uh, with... I, I use, choose my words carefully, forgive me. We're beginning to fight on behalf of those people and continue to, uh, you know, lobby the minister to provide uh, a greater supply. Did, I, we need I, to get those people back on board. Yeah, I did, I did hear her, um, Norma Foley, say yesterday that more capacity will be added um, as the days unfold. Are you hearing of extra capacity locally? I'm not hearing of extra capacity locally, but that's not to say that extra capacity isn't being provided. But if I was the minister, if I was Minister Foley, what I would have done was I would have sat down with the operators and saying, and we would have made an assessment of what the capacity is in the first place. Because I imagine that a lot of those buses could be taken up still, you know, if you have a latent uh, tourist season, for instance, a lot of those buses could be still operational for tours and other such matters. And they're going to have to look at all of that. But yeah, but the problem, uh, sorry for interrupting you, Sean, but the problem they also have is there isn't enough school bus drivers. And I know only last Friday, Senator Tim Lombard on this programme was calling for uh, qualified drivers over the age of 70 to be allowed to drive the buses. There are, there are lots of people aged 70 that wanted to stay on as bus drivers. And because of that rule by Bus Aaron, they're not allowed to drive a school bus, but they can drive a private bus. I, I totally agree with uh, Tim on this one. The school transport scheme is not fit for purpose anymore. It hasn't been for a long time. And what the minister did was she dodged the question yesterday of the eligibility criteria in terms of the distance. The 3.2 uh, uh, kilometre distance for primary and 4.8 for post-primary is completely anachronistic in, for the times that we live in. And until such time as you grapple with the distance criteria, and until such time as you, you know, cease to put in place what I call ageist policies, the idea that somebody over the age of 70 is somehow unable to drive a, uh, is not fit for, to drive a school bus in this day and age, is completely anachronistic for the times we live in. It's unfair to those people. And there are many people who are sound and solid people who would be more than willing to step up to the mark 
uh, because the hours would be suitable for them. There's a flexibility in it. Uh, you know, the holiday arrangements are, are, are positive and you would have your, your occupational pension, your state pension, and then you would have derive an income in addition uh, driving buses. And these are the people that we need to be looking to know. But what the minister should have done was instead of creating this massive anxiety for parents and for students alike, you know, there's no good now in the month of September, well, we're nearly into the month of September, coming to parents and saying, well, we're now looking at what the capacity is and seeing if we can get more buses. Right now, there are, count, like I know of one example where in Glenmort, they've had to provide a private bus at a significant cost for parents. That's not, that's one example. I know, as I've said already, where, you know, the, those people who would have relied on concessionary tickets and there is a precedent where they had those concessionary tickets for quite a number of years for, you know, either one or all of their children, uh, you know, within the household, they're completely lost now. And then there are those people who are eligible under the scheme announced where they have now been crowded out because they haven't received tickets. So you op- like what the minister has done was opened up a scheme, you know, said here are the eligibility criteria. People met the eligibility criteria, but yet there's no place for them. So you're you're it's it's completely arbitrary. It's Darwinian is how I would describe it. If you're on the bus, you're lucky. If you're on the bus, well, you know, if you're not on the bus, then tough luck. And and that's the short sightedness of the policy that was announced. There was no thought given. And what it has resulted in is a situation where, you know, I, I know of a set of parents that are working, uh, both parents working. That's that's for, And this speaks for many parents. You know, they'll get some headroom from their employers for the first couple of days of the but return that's to it. school. And that's it. Yeah. The pay, yeah. You know, the employer yeah I mean, I, I heard of another work. mother and uh, she says the only, th- only thing she can do is to drop her 13 year old daughter to the school gates at seven in the morning. She said she's no other choice. She has to get to work uh, on time. And that's the only thing she can do. She's uh, checking know, with the school to see will the school even be open on a rainy day that the child can sit inside. This is it. And you know what it's like when you're trying to get, uh, you know, kids out to school of a morning. So if, if both parents are working, there's the morning routine. If you had the school bus in place, that takes out a lot of stress for people. If you now have the added stress of trying to get into your car, drive the kids to school, and then, you know, drive onwards to your place of work. You, I mean, I don't understand why... Like, and the Fianna Fáil backbenchers need to cop themselves on on this as well, because they've been very silent on this one in the last few days. And they need to put a bit of pressure on their own minister. And I, I'm not sure if the minister fully realises the, the effects of this policy. All the minister has to do here is, is to sit down with the bus operators and tell us what uh, that conversation entails when she does sit down with them and look at the capacity issue. And get the extra buses on and, the road. And get okay. the extra buses. All right, Martin says, uh, so much for having the Greens in power. We're now going to have extra cars on the road every morning because of this. And Ross says, what a shambles this government is to give free school seats without the proper infrastructure in place. Sean, I have to leave it there. Thank, Thank you for you, that. Patricia. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us on the programme. That is Labour Doll Deputy for Cork East, Sean Sherlock. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And actually, just to let you give you the heads up later on in the programme, I'm going to be speaking with uh, Sarah Jane uh, Dennehy. She's a young mum from uh, Shanagari. It was her little baby, Charlie, who last Monday was bitten by a false widow spider. 
and uh, she wants to raise awareness of these this noble false uh, widow. It's an invasive uh, species. Actually, there's a study, and I know John Paul is working on trying to get the researchers behind the uh, study. I think it was NUI in Galway have been doing a study on this spider that is really taking over. Horrible looking thing. But it's you can get a really bad bite from this particular uh, spider. Now, most people, from what I can gather, it's just a really bad sting. But for a little baby to have been bitten and she's going to share her story of what happened. And just, as I said, more to try and raise public awareness around this false widow spider. And as I say, we'll try and get on to the people who are, who are doing some research on it just to give us as much information as possible. So just be careful, guys, if you're coming across spiders in your house. I know you'd have some people who are absolutely terrified of uh, spiders and others who can literally pick them up with their own hands and, and put them outside and put them out into the garden. I wouldn't have a fear of spiders, but I wouldn't be picking one up by the hand either. But then when you think of this false widow spider and you could be lying in bed and one decides to land on you and give you a bit of a nasty bite. So we all need to be careful. We'll talk more about that later on on the programme. Now, some people were re- are reacting to Ashleen Lowe who we started the programme with this morning and just just so saddened to hear of a volunteer with a food bank and the abuse that she and uh, her volunteers are getting from some, from some. And she is pointing out that in the main, it's what she class, classes as new people coming to the food bank. People who have used the food bank for many, many years are just really appreciative of anything that Ashley and the rest of the crew at her feed bank are able to give to people to the point that some of the people using the food bank can't give anything by way of financial help, but they're coming in and helping as volunteers themselves. And there's just something wrong when you can hear of, when you hear of volunteers being abused. It just it, it really saddens and upsets me and angers me as well. It's just this sense of entitlement that unfortunately some people have. Uh, a couple of people commenting on that. Uh, hi, Patricia. Like you, I felt very sorry for that woman and her colleagues trying to do their very best for the majority in need. But I feel, says this texter, that the lines are a bit blurred between the desperate and the skivers, the ones who won't get off their backsides to get a job and they feel everything. They feel they're entitled to everything. These are the people who won't make sacrifices for their own family. These are the same people who drink, who smoke, dare I say. They probably have the best of Sky and Netflix. They're able to afford all of that. But then they'll go and they'll take the free money from these overstretched charity organisations. All the charitable organisations are at the end of their tether with the demand at the moment. It must be soul destroying for them to receive this abuse daily. But maybe, maybe more in-depth analysis of the skivers would leave more in the pot for the people who need it the most. And I know and I absolutely accept the point you make and there'll always be, there'll always be people. Skivers is probably a good word to use. There'll always be people who'll bleed the system dry and they will have this sense of entitlement. But then I think of somebody like our own great Katrina Toomey have Cork Penny Dinners and she said no judgment with them they don't ask questions when somebody comes you know they don't query well you know would you have been able to have saved money somewhere else are you smoking would you be better off not smoking you'd be able to put food on the table they just she just there's no judgment at all and I imagine for the majority of people working in these organisations around the country it's the same they don't want it because for a lot of people to have to even 
go to a food bank or to pick up a phone to ring a food bank or how often have we heard it from the from the volunteers at the Society of St Vincent de Paul people find it very hard uh, to reach out and look for that help and usually they're at the very very end of their tether when they do pick up the phone uh, to look for help so the last thing they're, they're, they want or need is somebody questioning them but of course because that system is in place then you will have the scrivers you will have the people who know that they're not going to be questioned and they'll just take 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 some, thank you for your WhatsApp. Some of your texts in. I had to go to a food bank in West Cork after the lockdown, says this uh, helper. Says this texter, I needed some help um, for myself as I was taken over, simply swamped by bills during lockdown. The volunteer was so extremely nice and kind and I was shocked when she told me she had lived off the food bank organisation for almost 10 years when times were tough for her. No human being should be without basic nutrition and the same goes for animals and any of our our pets. Uh, I really care about what you're talking about this morning and remember the best of people have setbacks. Yeah, and that's the problem. That that is the thing and that's any of those charities, those food banks from St. Paul, any of those organisations will tell you, you you know, you never know the hour of the day when you might need their help and how often have particularly St. Vincent de Paul uh, told us that people who in the past would have contributed to their annual or monthly collections and then suddenly things go wrong for them. They find that they need the help. But as I always say to people who struggle to go and get the help when they need it, please God, it's only a short period of time where you're down in your luck. Things will turn around and then when things, you get back on your feet again and things get back to normal for you, then you you will be able to help out and donate either by giving of your time as a volunteer or you'd be financially in a position that you will be able to contribute to the charity that helped you when you were down on your luck. Thank you for your, your text and uh, good to know that you did reach out to the good people who run the food banks in uh, West Cork because that's what they're there for. John in Carrigaline says, Patricia, I hear that woman on your programme this morning about having a shortage of food within the food bank. How come there's plenty of money to help the Ukrainians and our government saying we'll take in more? Surely charity must begin at home says John in Carrigaline but the argument there is John people from Ukraine that are coming are fleeing for their lives from a war torn uh, situation Dennis said I've said it before and I'll say it again food banks should be banned in this country says uh, Dennis Dennis says this is a government failure the government and the system we pay taxes uh, into the government system they should be well able to afford for all of the people's uh, needs and I don't know if I would agree with you uh, I agree with you Dennis that, that, that we should have a system where there is enough for everybody but I certainly wouldn't be advocating for closing down the food banks because without the food banks we would have a lot of people going very very hungry so I, I, I can see the point you're making but I wouldn't advocate the closure of the food uh, banks and a different uh, John says Patricia imagine the whining after the budget next month people will have your radio station and other radio stations bombarded with phone calls and texts we're a great country to whine instead of hitting the streets and bringing the country to a halt says uh, John and then on fuel supplies Catherine says I know a coal supplier who has stocked up with coal and he has been doing it since the start of the year I wonder what a profit he will be making when the price of a bag of coal uh, goes up Uh, will that not be price gouging well you don't know is he is that 
coal stocker stocking up so that he can continue to sell that coal at the price that he brought, bought it in for. You don't know that. You're assuming that he's going to straight away jump and put up the higher prices. Maybe he will. Maybe he will. And if he does, yeah, absolutely. That is price gouging. Uh, will we ever see it stop? I don't know. 0818103103. Miriam on Food Bank said a friend of mine found themselves in troubled times financially. While she did her very best to try to keep food on the table, her son one day went into a local food bank. However, one of the helpers was a daughter of a person involved in the food bank, not the person involved's fault. But my friend's son in the classroom, one was in the classroom one day and him and a few were talking that Mick, so to speak, and taking the mick, so to speak. And the girl turned around and said, at least we didn't go to the food banks. After this, the friends asked him, was everything OK? He got embarrassed. But it's a warning to show compassion for all involved inside and outside uh, food banks. Uh, OK, yeah, that's that's awful to hear. That's just awful to hear that anyone, any child would the mick would be taken out of them because they their family were forced to go to a food, a food bank. I, I would turn that back on the on the people who were making fun of the child. I would turn that back and say, what kind of a household are they being raised in? 0818103103. And can I give a mention to a, a tablet that was found? It's an electronic tablet, not a tablet that you take. It was found in the playground on the Park Road in Mallow. And it has been handed into the Garda station in case it belongs to a child who may have lost it for school because it was found in the playground on the Park Road in Mallow. Now it may just be a tablet that some smaller children were using to watch little cartoons on or not but if it's yours or you heard of somebody who recently lost an electronic tablet it's gave the person who found it went straight to the guard the station with it and handed it in in Mallow I actually saw it was up on the Act of Kindness page on Mallow uh, as well 0818103103 our lines are open C103 Jobs Experienced construction workers are required to help trades experience in housekeeping skills, traffic management, concreting, etc. Safe pass and manual handling is essential. CVs to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. Access Credit Union, they're currently recruiting for an operations lead role in their Bandon branch. This is a full-time role, three and a half, sorry, 35 and a half hours Per week, Tuesdays to Saturdays, CVs to HR at accesscu.ie. Full and part-time school bus drivers are wanted. Applicants must have a D, D1 licence driver's card, up-to-date CPC. Of course, all drivers must complete guard the vetting. CVs to Bannon Colleague, Coaches Limited at gmail.com. And an apprenticed stonemason is wanted to work in Cork City and in West Cork. Stone, brick and block laying experience will all be an advantage, although it's not essential. Your own car would be desirable. 85 80 You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. 
Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. cmig.ie. Let's continue with the saga of families scrambling to get a seat on the school bus this year. Peter Hines, a well-known dairy farmer from Ahrla, joins me to outline just how frustrated he is at the moment. Good morning to you, Peter. Good morning, Patricia. Now, it's your daughter, Becky, going into transition year. She needs the seat on the school bus. Uh, am I right in saying that for the last three years, she would have got a ticket on the school bus and was eligible for a ticket on the school bus? Yeah, she's been on it for the last three years. Our status hasn't changed. Uh, the, the website or the portal is just showing up that the application is received, but it hasn't progressed from there. Can't get them on the phone. Tried on a number of occasions. I've been on hold up to 46, 47 minutes at times. And just um, not getting, just not getting through on the phones. Not just it, it, it. To be honest with you, it feels like a complete waste of time even dialing the number now, um, because nobody knows whether you'll ever get through. Like, is she back to school yet, or is it tomorrow? Uh, back tomorrow, and we've no idea what the plan is. She goes through college. Uh, last year, there was a problem with the applications, uh, but probably on a lesser scale than this year. And we were told last year just to turn up for the bus um, and that they, it would be dealt with with a number, number of days and we would have the tickets. Uh, so you would, you would assume, look, that senior management knowing when for, when the transport was free, that there was going to be an increase in applications. And given that the system didn't work last year, it was obviously going to work a hell of a lot less this year. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's an absolute disgrace from a politician's point of view that they haven't dealt with it, haven't come up with a clear plan as to what parents are to do because... We're not looking for a seat. We just want to use the same seat that we used for the last three years. Mm, mm. I mean, like with one daughter that's finished secondary school, so her seat is free. Her free seat to, is free, free for, to somebody yeah, else. Yeah, for a new first uh, year like, coming in. I mean, that's the way the system uh, should work. But a third of applicants this year are new applicants. I think the figure was something like 44,000 extra applied uh, when it was offered offered for free. I mean, I can understand why Norma Foley did what she did, but there just really was no planning put into this. No, zero planning. I mean, senior management in the school's transport section of Bus Aaron should have turned around to Norma Foley when the application process became free and said, look, we couldn't deal with it last year. We need increased manpower because we foresee an issue and we need an increase in our budget to cover that. I mean, it's not as if it's going to, it's a 12-month scenario, so they just need an increase in budget for people power to deal with us over a two-month period of time and then the process just is plain sailing until the summer uh, next year again. Uh, but I mean, there's everybody else on that bus seems, that's, that our daughter knows seems have got tickets. Those first years have had their tickets allotted to them and why a computer system cannot just renew a ticket or an application automatically when a child has been on the bus already and the, it, it has to go through the whole system every year is absolutely ridiculous. 
Yeah, you would think that there, you would think that there has to be an easier system. Uh, okay, I can appreciate that the first, you know, the the first year when somebody is applying, say somebody's going onto the school bus, secondary school in first year, so that would be the year where they would require all of the information. Now, unless you've moved house, which is for most people, we don't move house; we stay in the same house. So the criteria is going to remain the same. There surely should be some self renewal. <laughs> system. Yeah, you'd imagine so. It's, uh, it would eliminate a lot of headaches for people working in the school transport section just to know that most of the applications were just renewed automatically, but uh, I, don't know, I don't know what way the system works because it was a headache last year. We had no tickets for four girls at this stage last year. And if I, I would actually be happier to pay for the school transport if we didn't have this sort of a headache and do where we stood and actually got a ticket. You're not so. the first parent to have said that to us here on the programme. People now are starting to query, uh, is it really saving us any money at all? <laughs> it's certainly not saving it on my phone bill anyway because unfortunately <laughs> the school transport section is uh, it's not a free phone number so... Once they answer the phone, you're paying it, paying for it on your phone bill, just sitting on hold, praying and hoping that somebody might actually pick up the phone. And Peter, if Becky doesn't get a seat on the bus, what will be the implications for you and uh, Paula? It's oh, sure we're dairy farmers. We milk cows every morning, so like for Becky to be in school for uh, nine o'clock, it means that we would have to have cows milk for eight o'clock in the morning and that that might suit us grand from now on for Christmas but when calving starts in the spring you know you're kind of praying that the morning goes simple so that somebody can actually drive her to school and then collect her yeah and our daughter is like she starts school at 10 to 9 so for Paula Paula would have to drop Becky in Coatford for half eight race back to to Aherlet to collect up like Georgie to drop her one mile up the road. Yeah, I mean, it will be, uh, it'll be create a real nightmare in the household on top of the cost of the fuel. Yeah, and I look, I think the biggest thing at the end of the day is that the politicians and Arma um, Foley seem to have remained quiet on this. this I mean, yeah, this was a headache and a nightmare for everyone last week. At the very least, they should have came out yesterday morning and said, OK, if you've been on the bus before, you're still going to the same school, etc. Turn up for the bus as usual, we will start it. But I think mean, it's just pure silence. I think that's actually ignorant and arrogant from a politician. Uh, and I'd be friendly with a lot of politicians now, but I mean, if I was dealing with a politician and that was the attitude that they'd remain silent on something, I'd be changing my voting views fairly quickly. What's what's the plan tomorrow? Will Becky just try and get on the bus? Probably turn up for the bus and hope that they let her on it. And, ho- and hope there's a seat. I mean, if the bus is full, the bus is full. Yeah, that's the other side of it. And we don't know if I, I suppose look, if she's not allowed on the bus tomorrow morning, we'll have to drop her and we'll have to see where it goes. But we're, kind of, we're in limbo now until such time as they decide to fully process the application or at least answer the phone. And when would you have initially applied for Becky's seat? Was that earlier in the year? 
Yeah, we we have played for about a month before the cutoff point. Uh, why you have to reapply even for? You know, I would imagine if you're if you apply for a first year student and your details don't change, that you shouldn't have to go reapplying year after year after year because they they go for five years to secondary school. Becky goes for six because she does transition years. So. But did you have to reapply when they made the announcement it was free? Was there a, Yeah, and yeah. then the system kind of went down. That for crashed, a, I remember that, yeah. yeah. A, a point of period of time because uh, it was telling you the system wasn't changed automatically to to go free. So it was looking for payment and we couldn't apply when we went on first and we had to wait a week before the system was back up and running to, uh, to actually just click the... The application yeah. again. Yeah, and what, what do you think of families who had always been entitled to a seat on the bus but opted not to send their children on the bus for for whatever reason, and because it's free, they're now all applying. Uh, I suppose. Look, at the end of the day, you know, everybody's circumstances is different, and yeah, you know, it's not uh, fair to, for for me to kind of judge someone that maybe wasn't done it before, but really financially needs it. Now, And making this announcement with with little or no thought going into it, or no planning. Oh, or, absolutely! Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, you know, I think I, I think we're all well aware when you're when you're charging for something in this country, you get a certain amount of people that want it, and when you offer it for free, you get an increased yeah yeah amount yeah. Of it was going to happen. It, it was going, and I mean that that issue with the phone line that you're saying, trying to get through. I mean, as somebody pointed out here, when 44,000 extra people applied, uh, they they would they would have known from then that they were going to get a flurry of extra calls in to the phone centre. And it doesn't look like they put any additional staff to work on manning the phones. And that's the reason why parents can't get through. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at the end of the day, it was, it, it was only a case of... You know, <laughs> them linking up with a call centre and saying, OK, we, we, we have a one-month contract here where we want you to mend this phone system for us. And you know, they'd, uh, you'd imagine this day and age, you know, that if, uh, they could have organised that quick enough. Yeah, uh, you would think so. so. You, would, you would think so. Is Becky aware of the dilemma, Peter, of the school bus tomorrow? Or Yeah, she... keeps asking what she's going to do and oh, she... probably doesn't feel too comfortable about turning up for the bus I know. Because... I know I know and I know at, at, at that age and your other daughter uh, was leaving search yeah she was leaving search so <laughs> thankfully she doesn't need the uh, free transport from Norma Fall anymore <laughs> ok so results on Friday isn't it yeah, results on Friday and uh, she's working away at the moment and we'll see what the results are and what she wants to do after that and what does she hope to do probably a little bit un- unsure really she uh I think she actually needs a, 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 a gap, gap here. And just yeah, work yeah. Away, work away, and she has a full time job, thankfully. So uh, just She's, maybe figure out what she wants to yeah. do in life, and, and then go forward knowing exactly what you want to do. All right, Peter. Exactly. Listen, we wish Becky luck tomorrow, and luck today. That hopefully at some stage you'll get a ping of an email to say there is your ticket, and that everything runs <laughs> smoothly. And Becky will have a wonderful year in transition. Just from a farming uh, point of view, are you looking for rain? 
Uh, I wasn't <laughs> looking for rain with a long time. Are you? Uh, I, yeah. I was. I was chatting with PJ Coogan on uh, on Twitter at the weekend, and I agreed to haggle to three nights rain a week until Christmas. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> we'll PJ t- likes his sunshine. <laughs> but uh, we'll take that. We'll certainly take that. But you're not on a, a whole, You're not on any of the bands like they have in Westport. <sighs> Uh, no, and we have our own water supply here, uh, but badly, badly need rain for, for grass. And we were feeding silage last week to the cows out in the paddocks. We have one part of the lower part of the farm, which is lower line ground, and had uh, we've built up enough grass covers to remove silage from the diet this week. Uh, but I would say there is rain coming at the weekend. Uh, so Will it be enough? It'll be badly welcomed. Yeah, enough. yeah. It will indeed. Listen, Peter, we leave it there. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks, man. Take care. Good, good morning to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is uh, Peter Hines, uh, well-known dairy farmer from Aherla. 0818103103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now, while she may not have walked away with the overall title, our Cork Rose certainly did us proud at this year's Rose of Tralee Festival. While wishing Jenny Byrne the best of luck at the festival last week, I did mention that she was heading to Cambodia in September to continue her work and studies on employment opportunities for women with disabilities. And I said at the time, oh, I'd love to have a chat with her about that before she heads off. So I'm delighted to say our current Cork Rose, uh, Jenny Byrne, uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Jenny. Morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well and you're very welcome to the programme. You did us really, really proud last week. and your thank you so much. Your piece on stage with Dahi was exceptional. It was up there, well up there with the the best of them. Firstly, talk to me. What was the festival experience like for you? It was absolutely incredible. You know, we took two weeks out of our lives and I met 33 of the most unbelievable women I've ever met in my entire life. And I know everybody kind of says that and you don't really believe it you're kind of sitting at home going oh yeah like I'm sure you met 33 lovely women but like there's no way you all became best friends that quickly but we actually did like it was such a bonding experience for all of us to be away traveling around Ireland for two weeks and we all became so close so quickly and we went to some absolutely beautiful places in counties that I hadn't really explored before so it was just absolutely amazing and then to have it all culminate down in Tralee was just amazing Yeah it's funny um, Aoife Murphy who was the Cork Rose uh, a mm. number of years ago she was actually a neighbour of mine and to this day she's still friendly with some of the, the girls that she met at the festival and I she believe said, it's, yeah, it it is a lifelong uh, friendship which is and there's no bitchiness that goes on absolutely that, that you often hear about at other kind of uh, pageants uh, um, etc but was yeah. becoming a Rose something that you always wanted to do do you know as a little girl you would have grown up watching the Rose Tralee on the telly was it something you always wanted to do yeah like we would always have watched the Rose of Tralee in my house and it was kind of a big thing for me and my granny every year we'd watch the Rose of Tralee together and pick out the girls that we thought kind of look at all the pretty dresses and things and then I think I kind of lost touch with the festival for quite a few years as I got older but then I went to Galway to do my PhD and I came back to Cork there in kind of April May of this year and I found that I kind of had no friends left in Cork after I had finished college and moving back to my own city. So I actually entered the Cork Rose just as a way of making friends and yeah. meeting new people in my city. Obviously, I never really expected 
to get this fire and to kind of be sent to the Rosa Tralee. Really, it was just kind of an experiment in finding a way to meet new women of my own age um, in Cork. And like, it was an incredible experience. And so, suddenly that. then to get announced as the winner because <laughs> we here in Cork we select our rows earlier than some of the other counties don't yeah, we? Yeah, definitely. So you've a, you've, a, you've a longer run with it and it's and, and when you mentioned the dresses goodness me the style this oh, year yeah. was just incredible. It was amazing. I think after two years of COVID and kind of businesses being closed and things so many businesses were so keen to sponsor and to kind of get their names out there and to support us which was incredible I got an amazing amount of support from court businesses and the pieces that I was given were just so beautiful and I was so proud to be able to wear them and kind of show off the support and the generosity and the creativity I suppose of my county as well it was yeah, absolutely yeah. incredible it's, it's, it, it is a great showcase we forget about that it's a, also a showcase for, for designers and shops and, and businesses I, I mentioned pageant a minute ago they dropped the, the, the tiara to get rid of kind of the pageant feel of the of the festival but I was reading somewhere you feel that this competition really does empower women and certainly all I saw on TV was very strong, confident young women. Certainly, yeah, I think so. And like if you look at all of the 33 women who are involved this year, I would think none of us would consider it a pageant. Like none of us went into the Rose of Tralee hoping to win it or kind of hoping to come out of it with the supposed tiara at the end of it. And like I found this process empowering purely because we all show up to be selected as the Cork Rose or whatever, but we're asked to put forward the attributes that we have, that we're proud of within ourselves. And we're asked to talk about what makes us interesting and unique women and to kind of think about the good aspects that we have within ourselves and then to stand up on stage and talk about it. And I think in Ireland, we aren't really given enough opportunities to do that. So I really found like the whole process to be great for kind of self-reflection and looking inwards on myself and thinking about what makes me unique and interesting as a person and then being allowed to share it with... Well, well said. And, and you're right, we, because we're not great at complimenting ourselves. It's like, it's like when somebody says, oh, God, I love your dress and your pennies. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're straight away putting it down. Like, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so yeah, you, you, you are spot on uh, with that. Now, you graduated UCC back in 2019. It was International Development and Food Policy. Yeah. But it's your PhD in NUI Galway that yeah. will take you to Cambodia. It is. Now, yeah, talk so, to me all about that and, and, and about the upcoming trip. Yeah, the upcoming trip is a big one. So my research, as you mentioned, focuses on employment opportunities for women with disabilities. And I'm doing it in Cambodia and Rwanda so that I'll be able to compare my findings across two continents and hopefully make some sort of comparisons and then hopefully be able to work on some strategies for poverty reduction and kind of help NGOs both in Ireland and abroad to be more inclusive in their programmes and try and bring women with disabilities kind of more into mainstream NGO programmes. So I'm heading to Cambodia on the 12th of September, which is only like two weeks away um, for my first uh, research trip. So I'll be gathering a lot of my data there. I'll be doing interviews with women with disabilities themselves so that they can explain to me what the issues they face are and how best they think they can be fixed. Um, And then I'll be talking with NGOs and government ministers and other people from the NGO sector in Cambodia just to try and understand how the NGO sector works in Cambodia and how best they think women with disabilities could be included. Well done. And will you go to Rwanda as well? Yeah, Rwanda will be next year. So I'm thinking maybe May next year. 
for Rwanda, I kind of have to leave quite a gap in between just so I have time to analyse all the data for Cambodia and yeah, then yeah. So plan for the next trip to Rwanda. But it'll be the same procedure in both countries just so that the data is comparable. So the focus now is, is Cambodia. What do you know of Cambo- about Cambodia at the moment? I actually have been to Cambodia twice before. Um, I was an English teacher in Cambodia in 2015 and I absolutely loved it. It was a brilliant experience. And then I visited again in 2018 and I found it to be such an interesting and welcoming country. And obviously, I think most people would know about the history of Cambodia with the Khmer Rouge genocide and the Mm. war in Cambodia that only ended in the late 90s. And I think a lot of people maybe still see Cambodia as a troubled country or kind of a country that is still coming out of that war, which to be fair, it is. But the country has come on so much in the last 25 years, and especially in the disability movement, we've seen so much progress and so much positive change in Cambodia that actually the disability movement is so fertile in Cambodia. And there's a huge amount of work being done at the grassroots for the disability movement and kind of in the country as a whole. It's an absolutely fascinating case study. And will you try to look at similarities between women with disabilities in Cambodia and next year in Rwanda and women with disabilities in Ireland? Yeah, I think that will come up a lot because like a lot of the NGOs that are based in Ireland would work abroad, which is interesting in itself, so the findings will be relevant to that. But I think there will actually be a lot of similarities between the issues that come up in my interviews with women in Cambodia and Rwanda and the issues that face women with disabilities in Ireland because I think a lot of the issues that are faced by people with disabilities generally are kind of applicable all over the world because I think the issue of disability inclusion and especially for women with disabilities it's been kind of neglected over the last 25 or 30 years especially in the development agenda so I would think that a lot of the issues will kind of come up no matter what country you look at but I will be very interested to see what comes out in the findings anyway. Because women, and indeed men, I mean, people with disabilities find the job market much more challenging than able-bodied people. Definitely. Absolutely, yeah. There's and no it's it's so wrong. They have such a skill set to bring with them. Mm, absolutely. And it's just about understanding what the issues are in each different context and what people themselves need. Because the last thing that I would want, or that I suppose... Um, we in the development community would want is to say, right, well, the issue here is that um, X is the problem and X is what we're going to fix. I would much rather it be people from the local community tell me that actually the problem is Y and that's what needs to be addressed. So I don't want to be making any assumptions about what the problems are that needs to be fixed in any country, like not even in Ireland. I would much rather be told what the problems are and then try and work on solutions collaboratively. Okay, so you go to Cambodia with who, uh, Jenny? I go to Cambodia mostly on my own. Okay. Basically. Um, now, I have a brilliant network of NGOs who are already established and working in Cambodia, and there's a huge amount of disabled people's organisations working in Cambodia who do incredible work. They're really amazing. So there's huge support for my research in that sense. So I'll be working mostly through NGOs and local disabled persons organisations who will be helping me to facilitate interviews and work through it that way and obviously I have a huge amount of support from NUI Galway as well they've been brilliant in helping me to set everything up and make sure all my logistics are sorted and everything like that um, Have we Irish NGOs still in Cambodia? We do there's a few yeah. different Irish Is NGOs 
still in Cambodia. And there's a lot of um, international NGOs who would have previously had links to Ireland or kind of a lot of people who live in Ireland who would be working in Cambodia. There's actually quite a strong Irish connection to Cambodia, even with expats and things like that, which I think is quite fascinating, actually. It's amazing how you can go really far to the other side of the world and still find Irish people everywhere. <laughs> even in Cambodia. Exactly. <laughs> Isn't that the one thing that the Rose Tralee showed up? <laughs> no matter, oh, no matter where in the world you go. <laughs> it's amazing for that. Okay, so so are you all set and packed and, you know, what you're bringing and, and not bringing? And... <laughs> I think so. I... I've barely unpacked suitcases from Tralee and they've all yet to be repacked. But I was joking with my mum the other day that the suitcase that I brought to Tralee for two weeks is about three times as big as the backpack I'll bring to Cambodia yeah, for three months. Yeah, and, and very different less. and very different clothes, I imagine. Certainly, yeah, absolutely, yeah. very different things. Listen, Je- Jenny, we wish you luck with your trip to uh, Cambodia, and it Thanks was a, so a real pleasure. And once again, you, you really were a star at the Rose Tralee, and we were so so proud of you. So well Thank done. Thank you very much. I really appreciate. Take the care. Take bye 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 bye. That is our current Cork Rose, uh, Jenny Burnham. As I say, we didn't just didn't want to let the moment pass when we knew that she was going to Cambodia. We really just wanted to wish her all of the very best. And isn't it interesting because it was oh no, it was this day last week? This is Tuesday. It was Tuesday night, wasn't it? The uh, the overall winner was announced. So it was Wednesday on the programme. We were got flooded with calls about the Rose of, of Tralee with, you know, people saying who they thought should have won and didn't win and all of that. And uh, but the but the main bulk of the queries and the calls that we got into the programme last Wednesday was the fact that there wasn't a crystal tiara put on the head of the winning Rose of Tralee. And a lot of people thought, had they missed it? Did they do it after the cameras had stopped rolling? And we had to get on to the organisers at the festival to find out why. And of course, they came back to us and said they'd actually done research and that they had discussed it with people and they had gone out and, you know, uh, to find out what people thought about the tiara aspect of the crowning of Rose of Tralee and people felt it was too pageanty and it was too much like uh, a Miss World or a Miss Universe or any of the pageants that you see more in America than in Ireland and for that reason they ver- the Rose Tralee Festival have always said it's not a beauty pageant it's got nothing to do uh, with the looks it's more to do with the personality of the person and they said for that reason they decided to get rid of the tiara and that's why I did ask Jenny about it and it was interesting that she actually agreed with it as well and obviously I'm assuming she was speaking on behalf of the other roses they thought it was very much the right move not to have the uh, tiara and I can already see texts coming in including one from a Killarney listener to say hi Patricia bring back the tiara it is the crowning glory of what is a wonderful festival and that's actually coming in from a Killarney uh, listener and others as well saying disappointed that they got rid of the tiara You're listening to Cork Today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed Let me take a look at some of your calls and comments uh, coming into the programme. By the way, thank you to uh, a couple of people who were on, enjoyed my interview with the Cork Rose, uh, Jenny Byrne, in the last hour, including somebody who said, watch out, Dahi O'Shea. I'd never be able to compete with Dahi O'Shea and what he does, the amazing job that he does at the festival every year. But thank you. I appreciate your very, very kind uh, thoughts. Trish in Blackpool was on to us. She has a mobility scooter as she is unable to walk unaided. She can do a little bit of walk but she can't walk very far on her own so she re- 
really needs this mobility scooter. Now, this is a new mobility scooter. She replaced her uh, old one. But unfortunately, the new mobility scooter that she has purchased, she was misled about the journey time that the mobility scooter will actually do without needing to be recharged. And she's fearful now that if she, if she was to go from Blackpool into the city centre, she's fearful that the mobility scooter wouldn't get her from Blackpool into the city, city centre and back home again. So she's contacted us in the hope that there might be some business, I'm assuming, in the city centre that would allow Trish to park up her mobility scooter and to plug it in. It's, the, it's a normal three pin plug that we all use at home that she could plug it in and give it a bit of a charge. She said she would even be willing to pay for whatever it would cost in electricity. And I'm conscious of that with electricity uh, costs. And I don't know how much these mobility scooters cost to actually recharge. But she said she would be willing to pay. It's really only a top up is what she needs so that she knows then that she'll be able to get back out from the city centre after doing her bits and bobs and get back home again to Blackpool. So we'll give it out there. I know it's one of those kind of a long shots, but you never know. There might be some kind hearted business who, who would be willing to help out Trish and as I say she is willing to cover any costs that would be incurred by the business that would allow her to plug in the mobility scooter so that it would have a charge. I'm assuming something like a cafe or a restaurant or a hotel whereby Trish could be having her char- her bit of the her mobility scooter could be getting a bit of a charge and she could be having maybe some afternoon tea or a cup of coffee or maybe, maybe having a spot of lunch at the same time so she'd be bringing a bit of business into the business as well which might be a win-win all round. If anybody can offer advice, we have all of Trisha's contact details. 0818 103 103. And then we had a couple of calls in, both on the one topic from Donorel, and this is to do with the ongoing problem that we always have of dog poo. But in this this is a specific area in Donnerell. Uh, Jerry in Donnerell was on first. Jerry says, um, I walk in Donnerell Park quite a lot. Beautiful park, and it is absolutely glorious. It's a great asset that uh, for people in the North Cork area. But while they have done up part of Donnerell House, people are continuing to walk under the archway to access the park. It's a kind of a quick route into the park. But people are leaving their dog poo behind them under the archway every morning I come across it but what's really annoying to Jerry is the dog poo bags are supplied free of charge by the park but that's just inside the gate but Jerry reckons nobody's using them uh, Jerry said that he got brave one day and highlighted it to a person to say sorry you really shouldn't be letting your dog do his business there and pointing out that there are bags available to dispose of it but the person who he highlighted to him gave him a bit of an ear bashing and because of that he's nervous to do it again. He's fearful that we'll end up in a situation where no dogs will be allowed in the park if people don't behave and act responsibly. So please dog owners if you're taking your dogs to Donnerill Park make use of the free dog poo bags if you're not bringing your own with you but uh, please clean up after you and Andrew is also in Donnerill and he has a shop by the archway next to the fish pond lane in Donnerill Park and he says every day they come across this mess in the archway he also says it is an absolute disgrace and it's obviously the same group of people who all of the time hopefully some of them might be listening we might shame them into uh, cleaning up after their dogs uh, please and thank you to Dennis texting 086 103. And this is to do with something that we did last week on the programme. Remember we had uh, somebody contact us because they discovered that their oil tank 
was starting to buckle and they were worried about it and that then led to a flurry of calls and texts in from people saying that during not just this hot weather but previous hot periods during the summertime that the oil, their oil tank actually split and we discover most oil, oil tanks have about a 10 year guarantee on them and after 10 years they need to be replaced and I think there's more modern oil tanks you can buy now that last a little bit longer but the kind of the standard ones that are in most people's houses certainly houses that were built 20 years ago or more they can actually split wear and tear but it's the heat causes them to split and we got that great tip if you do discover your tank is split to get to use soap uh, to fill in the split until you get the oil out and then get your tank replaced. Well, Dennis was listening to that and he has a tip that he would like to pass on to people that helps to work against the effects of the sun on your oil tank. He said, whenever I get a new tank, I always paint it with two coats of white paint before the tank is actually fitted. It, It doesn't matter what kind of paint you lo- you use, but it must be white paint. By doing that, you won't get any cracks in your tank and the tank will actually stay cooler in hot weather. And he said, just as a suggestion, he said, put your hand on a white car on a hot day and then put your hand on any colour car and see the difference. That white doesn't doesn't take in the heat. That's a really, really good tip. I where you got that from, Dennis. But Dennis says he's been doing it for years and it works for him. So it might be a tip for other people worried about their tank. Paint it white and your tank certainly will last longer. We were talking about the food bank and that awful situation with the with the founder of a food bank up the country, Ashleen, talking to us about the abuse that they're getting from some of the newer clients, newer newer service users using the food bank and just a kind of a sense of entitlement. Meg says those that need it are the ones who really hesitate to ask. Meg says I always feel that the abuse will come from the Skyvers backing up somebody else who reckon there's a lot of people out there that are just kind of milking the system and then they're ruining it for people who genuinely have a need. And Shane in Bantry was listening to our interview on food banks and he says he works with a wholesaler in the city. And Shane says the amount of perfectly good food which is thrown out every week by the wholesaler is scandalous, especially with so much talk of looming food shortages. Now, that really saddens me to hear that, Shane, um, and particularly from a wholesaler. It's a wonder that you're, the wholesaler that you work for hasn't hooked up with so many of the food banks and the food clouds in the city, because a lot of, that's what the supermarkets do at the end of the day when they're coming to the sell-by dates are going to be gone or the use-by dates are going to be gone, or maybe boxes are damaged, the food is perfect, but they can't sell it because of damage to the packaging or whatever they've all all of our supermarkets all over the city and county and indeed it happens nationwide have hooked up with food clouds and food banks and donate the food so I'm really surprised to hear of a wholesaler in the city simply dumping food because there's a cost involved in that in paying to have it removed um, and then so bad for the environment uh, as well. 0818103103. And a couple of people have been on with regard to Simon Coveney, Minister Simon Coveney. One says, Patricia, I'm just wondering, do people realise that our elected Minister Simon Coveney has been saying this morning on his Twitter account that Ireland will now fund weapons going into Ukraine and aid the training of UK soldiers. I don't know if he said about funding weapons, by the way, I need to check that, but the training of soldiers, definitely he's talking about that. 
It's nothing about peace or negotiations. Who does he think he is? We're a neutral country at the end of the day. And this listener says, to quote, he is meeting EU defence and foreign ministers for two days to focus on how we can further support Ukraine. Ireland will support EU increased EPF funding and also the proposal to set up a structured EU training mission to support the training of Ukrainian soldiers and Ukrainian military. That's come in by text and then there was also a call from Michelle in the city who heard earlier on the news about Simon Coveney saying that Ireland will increase its funding to the EPF fund. The EPF fund, by the way, is the European Peace Facility Fund. Uh, Michelle says we've got enough problems in our own country without funding anything militarily uh, for another uh, country or indeed anything to do with the training of Ukrainian soldiers. Are we not a neutral country? So somebody else saying the same thing. So I did a quick Google search while news was on just to update me on this story. And the Minister for Foreign Affairs, Simon Coveney, has said that Ireland is supportive of the EU's plan to train more Ukrainian troops. He is supportive in principle. Uh, But he obviously is very much aware we are a neutral country. But he is also, he says, in in an unusual space because there's two debates going on. There's this debate about training more Ukrainian troops. But there's also a debate going on over whether we should ban Russian tourists from the Schengen area, which is the majority of the EU and countries outside the EU. We will be included in that. Simon Coveney is, as we speak, joining his EU counterparts in Prague. It's an informal two-day meeting and they're going to discuss the war in Ukraine. The ministers are set to discuss the proposal to make it harder for Russians to travel within the European bloc by suspending a deal that exists at the moment and that actually eases their visa application. It seems there's a divide within the EU bloc over whether we should put a complete ban on Russians travelling or not. And I'm assuming some of the countries will have an issue around they probably depend on Russians to come for tourism numbers as well. We here in Ireland obviously wouldn't be in that same space. But that discussion is going on. But the other discussion that's going on is to do with the EU training mission to support training of Ukrainian military and and also to increase the European peace facility spending. Speaking to reporters at the Prague Congress Centre, Minister Coveney said the focus of the meeting will be on what we can do to help Ukraine, both militarily and politically, and, of course, to raise the cost for Russia for continuing their uh, aggression. So they're talking about, you know, m- military support, but they're also talking about political uh, uh, political support. But a lot of it seems to centre around discussions on how training will work and what countries could potentially host the training of Ukrainian troops. Seemingly already a number of, U- of European countries are already hosting what they're calling training facilitation for Ukrainians. And Simon Coveney says, I think it would be good to put that on a more structured basis and to ensure that the EU collectively is doing everything that it uh, can. So it's discussions that are going on. I can't see anything in it about Ireland putting money into a pot for arms because that's something that the government have been always quite strong about in saying that we are a neutral country. We will help the Ukrainians. But there's always been a thing about actually supplying money that will go towards um, arms. But it's as I say, it's a discussion. It's an informal meeting that has been held with all the EU counterparts and 
no doubt over the next two days of this meeting in Prague we'll hear more about it 0818 103 103 a lot of focus of attention in so many houses this week is all to do with back to school and uh, our, we sent our news reporter Mairead Tuig along to Glasheen Girls School to find out how the smallies got on on their first day at school here's how she got on my name's Lily um, I'm in sixth class it's really good. We uh, actually have a new teacher. They hired her um, from the <laughs> over the summer, so uh, she's really lovely. She travelled uh, all over the world. She, her name is Miss Manny. So, well, what's in your lunchbox today? Um, I have an orange. I also have a lemon yogurt, and um, I think I have a banana. My name's Abine. It's been really good. I was really excited for it. Because I thought that sixth class was going to be a really good year. Brilliant. And um, tell me a bit about school here in Glashine Girls School. It's really, really fantastic. It's so much fun. We learn a lot and we go on a lot of day trips and we get lots of breaks so that we can relax our minds. Hi, my name is Chloe. And Chloe, what class are you in? I'm in third class. So tell me, how's the first day back going? Um, it's really fun so far. Excellent. How was your summer? It was really good. Brilliant. And tell me, what's your favourite thing about school? Um, probably doing art. Um, my name is Jury. Jury, tell me, how's the first day back going for you? Um, it's great. Um, I'm really happy that I met all my friends and teachers again. Brilliant. And how was the summer? Um, it was great. I went to Egypt and met my family. Korea. So Korea, tell me, how's the first day back going? It's really fun and I was looking forward to it for a long time during the summer. Brilliant. And were you preparing all during the summer bags and books and yeah. uniforms? Yeah. Brilliant. And like when you all came in this morning, what was the first thing you did? Well, we all got organised into our classrooms. And was it great to see all your friends again? Yeah. Oh, so sweet. Thank you. That is Mairead Tuig, our news reporter, heading along to Glasheen Girls School just to find out how some of the pupils got on on their first day back at school. So good luck to everybody who went back today. I know many of them are heading back tomorrow. Seems to be really the official day for most of the schools to reopen and we wish everybody the best of uh, luck, particularly, I think, to the very smallies going into the junior infants. It can be a very, very nervous uh, time. Now, somebody by text says, or was it by WhatsApp, let me just check there's so many texts and calls coming into the programme somebody says hi Patricia I'm just wondering did Cork GAA County Board agree to play the rugby match between Munster and South Africa did they agree to play it in the Cork GAA grounds I can tell you on Saturday that the GAA Central Council has given or did give the go ahead for Munster they'll be taking on South Africa on the 10th of November it'll be the first time that Munster will take on a touring Springboks outfit in the professional era and the decision by the GAA top Brass means the game will take place uh, in Croke Park or in Porky Cueve, should I say. And of course, the reason for that, the reason Munster Rugby want to move it to Porky Cueve, it's got a capacity of 45,000 people. An application from the Cork County Board to host the fixture was passed unanimously 
at the Old Corla meeting on uh, Saturday. Munster Rugby said it's a huge honour and a significant milestone for Munster Rugby and one they are very proud to be associated with. And I imagine for rugby fans there will be a huge clamour for tickets for that match in Porky Cueve on the 10th of November. So yes, to the listener, uh, the GAA did give the go-ahead. I spoke about what's going on in Prague with Minister Simon Coveney. Seamus Romano says, at the rate our own soldiers and sailors are leaving the defence forces and ships not being put, able to be put out to sea uh, due to poor wages and appalling conditions, I think we should look at how we run our own military before we allocate any resources and attempt to train a foreign military. That's Seamus from Mallow. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie Chambly More Bingo is going ahead tonight, 8 o'clock in the community hall. They've got a jackpot of €2,650. Rock Chapel Community Centre are pleased to announce the return of the card games tomorrow night at 9. Existing players as well as new players that will be interested in what is a great night of entertainment are more than welcome to attend. And a fundraising dance for the Air Ambulance will be held this Friday night in the CYMS Hall in Newmarket. Now, dancing is from nine to the Mick Condon Band with special guests, the wonderful Sheila Fitzgerald and Anne-Marie O'Reardham. And John Kenny and Norma Sheehan will star in The Matchmaker by John B. Keane. That's in the Glen Theatre in Bantir on Saturday night. If you'd like to book a ticket, call 029-56239. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now, a Cork mother has called for a greater public awareness of the false widow spider. This was after her 15-week-old 15, 15 son was bitten multiple times. To find out what happened to baby Charlie last Monday at his home in Shanagarry, I'm joined by his mum, Sarah Jane Dennehy. Uh, good morning to you, Sarah Jane. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well and you're very welcome uh, to the programme. I suppose, take me back to last Monday, normal day, and wh- what happened? Yeah, absolutely. Um, business as usual. We got Charlie dressed in the morning and he came down. He was on his play mat for about 45 minutes. And then all of a sudden he just started screaming, worse than anything I've ever heard. Um, so... I thought it was his nappy initially, so we brought him upstairs and stripped off the trousers. And immediately I noticed that his left leg was swollen, it was red, and there was three big white bites. So I was having a look through the trousers trying to see what would have caused it, and I couldn't see anything. So I stripped off his top, and as I did that, just the noble force widow spider crawled out from behind his ear, off the back of his head. Now, did you know what a noble false widow spider was? No, I didn't at all. I had the fight in my life, but it was a big black and white spider. So I suppose it was watching Steve Irwin growing up. I captured it in a nappy bag to bring in to the GP with us just because of the reaction that Charlie was having. Um, and it was from there then my dad got in contact with the lads up in NUIG in the Venom Lab and it was identified as a noble false widow. So you had the sense to capture it. I wouldn't even have thought of that. Yeah, I suppose it was just instinct at the time. I Obviously, Charlie was up the walls and it scared the life out of me, but 
you wouldn't think the reaction that he had to it would have been from kind of something benign. So yeah, I was yeah. a bit worried about what it was. So did you go head straight then to the GP? Yeah, straight into the GP and he was checked out. Um, and we took him home and he was fine for the first couple of hours on paracetamol. And then he was just inconsolable in the afternoon. Um, oh God, help him. And he's, yeah. so, and he's so young. Yeah, he is. And it was really unprecedented. Um, Michelle and Dr. John up in Galway were on the phone and they were brilliant. But someone so small has never been bitten on record. So we didn't really know kind of what to expect. Um, so we ended up bringing him into A&E because there's only so much you can do pain-wise when they're that small. Um, and he was taken in and he was monitored and he was given some ibuprofen and... Luckily, the effects of the venom kind of wore off 11 hours after his bite. So that was half past 10 at night. So is, is that all you can do is just pain relief? Um, yeah, well, there's currently that's really all they can do on the guidelines that the HSE has. Um, there isn't really fit for purpose guidelines on these bites. There's a huge amount more symptoms um, than what Charlie was exhibiting. Um, but there are cases where people have been treated with morphine for it. People have been hospitalised for a month due to bacterial infections. So it can be really serious. Goodness me. And was it just his little leg? And I know you, he it came out of the top of his, his little top, but did he get bitten on the body as well? No, thankfully no. it was Good. just three bites on his leg. So we think what it was was the spider was in his trousers when we put them on that morning. And just with his moving around on his play mat, he maybe squished it a little bit and then she acted defensively and gave him three bites. Yeah. Goodness me. Good. And how, how is he now? Has he any marks left on his leg? Yeah, he does. The, um, the bites are still really prominent there. So we're just keeping an eye on them to make sure that there's no infection in them. Um, but he's really, he's happy in himself and he's back to normal. So hopefully the bites will die down now in the next couple of days. And were the, the gang in NUI Galway, which we're actually we're hoping, John Paul is working on, we're hoping to, to chat with them tomorrow in the programme. Did they say to you, is, is, is it like a bee sting? Were, was, were they able to tell you what Charlie was, what Charlie was feeling? Yes, yeah, so they said it was like a nasty wasp sting or a hornet sting. Um, now, obviously, that would be for a grown adult. Um, whereas for Charlie, he's that much smaller. He's only six kilos so um, you're talking about the amount of venom that he took from three bites um, in relation to his size. It was probably a little bit more spicy for him, I suppose. So I take it you'll be checking the inside of every trouser leg uh, for Charlie and indeed for yourself? Oh, absolutely. We've uh, we've scoured the house um, and we've captured a couple out in the garden now that we're going to send up to Galway for venom extraction. Because these guys, these noble false widows, are, are taking over, aren't they, in this country? Yeah, they are. Having spoken to um, John, they're now the most prolific spider that they're seeing. Um, so the fact that Charlie's only the 25th documented case, they're obviously not fighting that many people, but they're in nearly every garden and housing estate in the street now. Yeah, and the fear is because they're killing off so many of our own Irish spiders, the fear is that these will these will just completely uh, take over. I mean, seemingly they can kill organisms uh, larger than themselves, inclu- including bats. Yeah, it's mad. They um, And they seem to be very intelligent with their use of their venom as well, where 
they'll kind of save up stores and decide if something's big enough for them to fight, given how much venom they have. Um, but they absolutely are. They're killing all the native species. We can see it in our garden. Um, so it's quite scary as to what it'll do to our ecosystems. Little did you think, Sarah Jane, you'd become an expert on the noble false widow spider. Oh, I know the amount of research papers I've read. God, I'm an expert in the mouth. <laughs> and come here, before I let you go, John Paul has just told me a very interesting fact about you and the work that yourself and your husband uh, do and you're going to be doing again in Iraq. Yeah, we've been out there for, Mark's been out there for five years and I was out there for four. Um, we've been working with explosive hazards left over from ISIS um, so Mark's in charge of the operational clearance um, and physically moving, removing those um, explosive devices and mortars and small arms. And um, I was out there until earlier this year when I came back to have Charlie. Um, I was working on explosive ordnance risk education. So that's where we went out into communities and taught them how to live safely with explosive hazards until they could be removed. Is is that under an NGO or how does that operate? Um, there's a lot of NGOs who are doing that work. We were working with a state organisation um, doing clearance of critical infrastructure and community liaison and education. And what's life like in Iraq today? Um, it's super. I'm going back now next month with Charlie and Tilly, the little dog. Um, so it's we have a lovely life out there. We have a very good network. Um, we are based in Kurdistan rather than federal Iraq, so it's um, very westernised, it's very safe. And then the work that we were conducting was across the border in the likes of Mosul and Kirkuk and Al Anbar, which were obviously quite heavily affected by ISIS. It's incredible work. How, how does one get involved in, in that type of work? Um, I kind of segued into it. I was a project manager initially and then I ended up um, working with the Halo Trust, um, who are a humanitarian mine action organisation out in Cambodia. And then this role opened up in Iraq, um, marked the operational side, so he had military experience um, in bomb disposal and he's kind of moved up now into the position of country director. That's incredible. It's incredible. Is, and is Mark a Corkman? He is. is we, uh, we were both in band and grammar. Oh, were you? Okay. Yeah. You're, you're band and lads and lassies. Okay. Yeah. And you're heading <laughs> and you're heading back with Charlie. So so has Mark? Was Mark home for the birth? He was. He was home um, when I was 38 weeks pregnant. He came back, and Charlie was born at 40. And then Mark went back to Iraq when he was nine weeks old. So he's looking forward now to getting back next month and taking us back. So all of this, all what happened last week happened and Mark wasn't even at home. I know, he dodged a bullet there. <laughs> Listen, best of luck with your with your role in, in Iraq. It's incredible work and good to know that Charlie is back to full health and well on the road to recovery. And thank you for informing us because you're very knowledgeable now on this noble false widow spider. And it was a pleasure to talk to you, Sarah Jane. Thank you for that. 
Thanks, Patricia. Thanks for having uh, us on. Bye-bye. 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 Sarah Jane uh, Dennehy there, a native abandoned but uh, living in Shanagarry and little baby Charlie. Keep a look out, particularly, I think, for a small baby like that who suddenly starts to scream. You think of all, oh, is it colic? Is it a bit of wind? Or as Sarah Jane says, she thought maybe it's a dirty nappy. The last thing you're going to think of is that it has been bitten by a spider that somehow got into his little trouser leg. Keep a look out for those noble false uh, widows. You get a nasty, nasty bite. And as I say, as I say, she described it as sounding like, feeling like a wasp sting. As I say, we're hoping to do a little bit more about this tomorrow, in particular by chatting with the researchers who are investigating why this spider has become so successful at spreading in towns and uh, cities around Ireland and indeed around the world. 0818 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. After poor Sarah Jane getting the fight of her life with the little boy being bitten by a false widow spider, somebody actually has been on to say that a friend of theirs got bitten by a false widow spider while visiting a garden centre. Ended up, oh, says Jim, it's, um, Jim says she ended up being quite sick for a time afterwards. And by the way, the mark took months or close to a year to go down where she was bitten because Sarah Jane did say that the little marks are still on uh, little baby Charlie's uh, leg. Uh, Joe Heffernan uh, joins me. Are you afraid of spiders, Joe? Well, I, I wouldn't be a fan of them, no, uh, no. Patricia, but um, these new leads seem to no. be a kind of a serious issue and uh, let's hope they don't take over. Yeah, that's the danger. That is yeah. absolutely the danger. And when we were down in in West Cork there a few weeks ago Brenda my husband stood on one of those weaver fish and again oh, there's something yeah. that we didn't have a lot of in this country and, and parts of West Cork have loads of weaver fish and the sting from that we, we were just glad it was him and that it wasn't a, ch- a child even though we heard of a lot of children who had stood on it as well so you just you have to be careful out there folks now we're going to lighten the yeah. mood completely today uh, because we're going to talk about the benefits of uh, laughter and I mentioned this earlier Joe when I was talking with Ken on the breakfast show even if you're feeling down if somebody makes you laugh or if you look at something on TV or you look at a funny little clip on your phone or or whatever you'll always feel better after a good hearty laugh Absolutely and usually now there are situations where no matter what way you look at it there's no humour to be found at all but in many situations even ones that we don't like um there's probably a bit of humour to be found somewhere. And so, like, um, uh, I, I always found that any any bit of a row, we'll say, with someone. Now, I'm not talking about a major, major row, but any bit of a... That if you can bring a bit of humour into it, um, it usually solves it. Um, you know, uh, and uh, apparently, um, uh, medically speaking, we'll say, from what I've read, that uh, laughter, that it, it, it triggers healthy physical changes in the body. Um, uh, it strengthens the immune system. It boosts our energy. It diminishes pain. It decreases stress. Imagine that... Um, doesn't, that those, doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah. That um, we feel better and stronger and more uh, relaxed if there is something that causes us to have a real good old laugh. Um, 
you know, it brings the entire mind and body back into um, um, a balance. Um, so, uh, <laughs> if we can find something to have a bit of a laugh about, well, we're doing ourselves a big favour. Um, uh, it, it, a laugh like helps us to cope with problems. And it can improve our relationships. I don't know how many times I would have felt that somebody was very attracted to somebody else from a point of view. He or she makes me laugh. Yeah. Um, yeah, people will, will say that as a really good quality in somebody. That yeah. ability to be able to make people laugh is it's it's a it's a wonderful quality, and we've all and we all have friends who can be. I'm I'm thinking of one particular friend I have now. He lives in the UK, but he's just one of the funniest men that I know, and I look forward to being in his company because I know he will have tears coming out of my eyes. I will be laughing uh, so much, and I've often said it to him. It's it's just. What a great quality and a, what a great joy he brings to people's lives because he's just a funny guy. And we all love being around people like that. Absolutely. It, it makes a person very attractive that when you meet them, that you know that they're going to probably cause you to have a good old belly laugh about something or other. Um, just like yourself there now, I'd have a friend um, uh, who, <laughs> no matter what... Um, the situation is um, he'll find a bit of humour in it and usually uh, I will I, I, I will uh, respond to that humour with a very good laugh like he, he, even to the extent that he had spent quite a lot of time in and out and in and out and in and out of a certain hospital recently and of course his take on it was that they're having a meeting and they're thinking of calling a wing of the hospital after him you know <laughs> Uh, but been... all, all, always the bit of humour, yeah. no matter how, yeah. um, uh, you know, uh, serious we we'll call it the situation is. But it's like, so, and, and I know humour, what can make one person laugh might not necessarily make another person laugh. But it's like, you know, there's certain TV programmes. Like I was a huge, huge fan of Derry Girls, uh, the series. And I know I would have other friends of mine who didn't quite get the humour of Derry Girls. But to sit down and watch, you know, a simple programme like that, it's only a half an hour long. You can't help but be in a good mood at the end of it. Absolutely. I remember a particular scenario some years ago um, and uh, you know, I was having a really bad old day and uh, I, I went to the cinema that night and um, uh, I, I, I saw um, a, a film that um, I came home in great humour um, uh, it was a really, really, really funny film and it just shows you what age does to us uh, I'm desperately trying to remember the name of the film and <laughs> yeah. the incoming. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Um, so a, a, a good old comedy or, um, uh, that lifts the spirits a bit. Um, uh, if it, And it takes our mind off of, you know, the more serious issues. And God knows these days, if ever we needed to have a laugh about something, this is the time for it because there isn't an awful lot of uh, laughter out there. Yeah, and, uh, and in your in your research, you've discovered it's good for your heart because it actually increases blood flow. Imagine. That's yeah. incredible. You know the way that these physiological tests um, are, are done um, and uh, that 
that a, a person's um, uh, body is monitored in certain situations. And apparently, um, the, the, the release of endorphins, um, uh, the promoting of wellness and good for your heart, because it does, apparently, it increases blood flow. There's one thing sure is that we don't need a lot of monitors on us or a lot of research to tell us that a laugh definitely makes us feel good. No doubt at all about that. Yeah, and it's it's if you're laughing, because when, when you said if somebody's about to have a, an argument or a discussion that's going to get a bit tetchy, if somebody cracks a joke and the other person starts laughing, it's then, and can I say my husband has a great ability to do this when I'm about to have a rant, he has a great ability to be able to make me laugh. And then it's impossible to have a rant over what I wanted to have the rant about because I'm laughing. So, I yeah. mean, it does work. It absolutely does work. It does. There is no question whatsoever, but it, it improves um, uh, relationships. I mean, if two people are having a laugh together, uh, they're in a pretty good place. There's no doubt about it whatsoever. You know, and uh, uh, I remember reading somewhere sometime about a family. Um, it was in some book that I read um uh, I think it was based in Limerick, if I remember correctly. But there was this house, and when this person, the author, um, uh, used to pass by there, he would regularly hear hearty laughter. And um, the comment that he made in the book, I, I think it was um, uh, the likes of Angela's Ashes Now or, um, or Tis or One of Those um, the, by the McCourt. That, Frank um, yeah. Yeah, that, um, that he knew immediately that that was a happy together family. Yeah, 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 lovely. Well yeah. put, well put. Okay, yeah. so smile. We want people to smile and laugh as much as they can. Okay. As much as we can okay. find something to laugh Absolutely. at. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. Joe, listen, have a lovely week and we'll chat to you next uh, Tuesday and get out and enjoy that sunshine. Thanks for joining Absolutely. us. Absolutely. And uh, Joe runs a counselling practice in Boho Boy. His number is 0868348145. Just let me wrap up before we go on a couple of quick texts uh, in on the false widow uh, spider. Somebody says, I have a lot of those false widow spiders in my back garden. Their webs are a bit different to other spiders like crisscross. I've also found some of their webs will have two other spiders in the one nest. Keep a lookout for them. Hi, Patricia. It was lovely to hear Sarah Jane uh, tell that awful story of the, of the spider but really great to hear the, the remarkable work that she's doing with her husband in Iraq. Princess Diana was involved in the Halo Trust. I, I actually was going to say that and I wasn't sure. The Halo Trust where they go out looking for landmines in other countries. And Jaron Cork says we're remembering her anniversary this week. Yes, she is 25 years dead, isn't she? Hard to believe that she is 25 years dead. OK, that's where I have to leave you for today. Uh, Mark Malone is in for Nick uh, today. So he'll take you through the afternoon. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing and we will be back with you tomorrow morning at uh, 10 o'clock and our apologies if we didn't get around to all your texts. We had a very busy morning this morning so apologies but we do read all of the texts and all of the emails that come in. I promise you that. Okay, until tomorrow 10, I'm Patricia Messenger. Good afternoon. Quite today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. Cmig.ie. 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.